has come to your little town, Sheriff. Have you ever felt a knife cut through human flesh and scrape the bone beneath? You're gonna need a bigger boat. Be my victim. My name is Austin Torres, and welcome to the Woody Die Podcast, the show where we talk about our favorite horror monsters and villains. Today, I am joined by one of my best friends. I've known this guy since we were both in first grade, and we've seen countless terrible horror B-movies during our time at Michigan State. We've also watched a ton of good horror, too. <laughs> yes, yes, we have. Please welcome my dear friend, Evan Jakovac. Hey, guys. How's it going? I'm so excited that you're here. Today is the 50th episode of Would You Die? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Shocked that you made it this far. It's awesome. I am so shocked as well. When I was like doing my prep for launching this podcast almost a year ago, I read like most podcasts don't make it to like episode 15 or 20 or something like that. So you now 50 episodes later, still rolling at it. Halfway, halfway to triple digits. <laughs> absolutely. And uh, to honor this special, the special milestone, I am listing off my 50 favorite horror movie moments of all time. You've got some spicy ones on there. <laughs> uh, I'm excited to, excited to talk about them. And uh, <laughs> before we like get into the actual list, I do want to make two little clarifications for the movie moments on here they're either from a horror movie not next not necessarily a horror moment so i some of these might be a comedy or a dramatic bit from one of my favorite horror movies or it's a horror moment from one of my favorite horror ish or horror adjacent movies yeah so the ones that are like is that really horror it is for the podcast. It's good enough for the podcast, but I, I did. <laughs> I mean, there, there's definitely one on there that is not horror at all. And I am super excited to talk about. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but um, I'm really, I'm really excited that you're here to join me on this one. I wanted to have you on here before episode 50, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. I know, because I was with you in the inception phase of this whole thing. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, we were expecting, you know, I'd be on in like, you know, episode 10, 20-ish, you know, somewhere along those lines. But, uh, you know, you just got a little too big and got some uh, pretty good names on the show. So <laughs> they, they, they ended up taking my spot over and over and over again. Well, you are here for the big one, the first big episode. Well, I don't Fair know enough. about the. I'll take that. If I want to say the first big episode, but like the fiftieth, like oh, yeah. that's a big milestone episode. So uh, you got the first milestone. Awesome. And, Here's uh, looking to Steven Spielberg for episode 100. <laughs> God bless. Well, got to aim for the stars. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, as always. Oh my goodness. So let's get into it. Number fifty. Oh. I'm going with. The 2004 sci-fi horror classic. If you don't love this movie, you don't love me. It's Alien versus Predator. I mean, when Alien versus Predator first came out, it was every 
monster movie horror fans wet dream of a movie just seeing two oh, yeah. of the iconic horror monsters beaten up on each other oh nothing yeah. could be better and it's like that yearish period in 2003 2004 where you get freddy versus jason the ultimate slasher battle and then alien versus predator the ultimate monster battle <laughs> was that seriously the same year we got both of those well, Freddy versus Jason came out in 2003. Alien versus okay. Predator came out in 2004. And I think it's about a year-ish apart. I don't remember if it's less than a year or a little more than a year or maybe exactly a year. <laughs> God only knows, but no. I mean, that that is very much like Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> one does well, you do the next one as soon as you possibly can. And like Freddy versus Jason did extremely well and they did not wait for alien versus predator that came out immediately <laughs> well everybody knew alien versus predator would be probably the bigger draw than freddy versus jason right like i i don't know i'm I, everyone knows freddy krueger everyone knows jason Voorhees, and then like everyone knows alien yeah. everyone knows predator i uh I don't know if I'd say one would be bigger than the other, though. Maybe different markets a little bit. Yeah, M maybe sure. Alien versus Predator might be a little bigger market because horror is still, and I think horror will always be niche. I whereas would Alien versus Alien Predator versus has Predator. a bit of action. Yeah, that would be the more action-heavy yeah. one, as opposed For to sure. the other one. So yeah, I would say draw a bigger market just because you know. Big monster with guns fights, you know, big alien with acid. Teeth, <laughs> <laughs> teeth and I'm just acid. Like teeth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> big alien with teeth and acid. Yeah. So I um I don't know which one made more money off the top of my head, but I I think you're right. I think Alien versus Predator had the bigger market because I do know that was PG 13 when it came out. Oh, so absolutely. that's like a whole a whole last demographic. While I know for Freddy a fact I was, was rushing to the theaters to go see that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah. So what do we what do we have as the moment in this one? Which which uh, moment do we have for this? For me, it is when you finally get that first fight of one v one versus an alien and a predator, and it's basically a professional wrestling match. The predator is like slamming the alien into columns okay so when they're underneath and you yeah kind of taste oh yeah because because if i recall right doesn't he like uh shoot him up with a web like his uh yeah. guns and stuff like that yep oh, and then God. uh that alien ends up winning and it's nick it's nickname is like grid because it has that grid pattern for the rest of the movie Oh, I didn't even know it had a nickname for it. That's awesome. Oh, you got to love fan-given nicknames. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, that's that's what you strive for when you're making a movie like that. Oh, yeah. If I'm going, if I'm, I mean, I got to start off the list with something with the Xenomorph. The Xenomorph is oh, my favorite monster. Predator is one of my favorite franchises of all time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But the Predator is no slouch either. Oh, no, not at all. You're not giving him his dues. I gave him his dues, but... Him or it, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Alien versus Predator, I think, is a fun a fun crossover for fan with enough Easter eggs for fans of both and enough fun action to please the average moviegoer. 
Oh yeah, always. Uh, you can't do wrong when you bring two icons in a death match. Uh, there, there's no chance of going wrong on that. Um, Alien versus Predator Two would beg to beg to differ. <laughs> yeah, I still, I still enjoyed it. It wasn't good. I Fair. enjoyed it though. Fair. And I, I think you could argue Alien versus Predator isn't good either, but I love it. Hey, my it's my good enough for my pension <laughs> for enjoying terrible horror movies is widely known amongst you and a couple of our friends. So <laughs> you know, the worse a horror movie is, I as long as it's really bad or it's good, I'm okay. Don't give me any middle of the pack kind of deals. Well, I think you're gonna like number forty nine. <laughs> oh, which which one is that one? Now we are moving on to we were talking about him earlier, but this is the only time Jason Voorhees appears on this list. Ooh. And fans of Jason, I'm sorry, don't get offended, but I unironically love this movie. It is Friday the 13th, part eight, Jason Takes Manhattan. Oh, what a classic. What an absolute classic. And it's funny because it's not my favorite Jason movie. My favorite Jason movie is Jason X. And then I like uh, I like Friday the 13th, 4, and Friday the 13th, part 6, more than I like part 8. But this is my favorite moment. Wait a second, is Jason X the one in space? Hell yeah, it is. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, by the way, spoilers for all the movies. So when we uh when I name off a movie, skip ahead a little bit to the next one. <laughs> if you haven't seen it. Yeah. But an honorable mention for Jason X is that iconic liquid nitrogen death where Jason oh takes that god. woman and yeah. freezes her face and it's like, ugh. Love it, but that's an honorable mention. Crumble like the crumbling. Oh god, yeah, that that always so Jason could have been on here a bit, but I did this list and I'm not changing it. (laughs) Yeah, please don't. I don't want to have to look over another list. So, but yeah, 49. It's Friday the 13th, part eight. Jason takes Manhattan, and the moment is when Jason is boxing that one dude. <laughs> okay, that scene is I don't I don't know how to put it. That scene might be one of the most depressing scenes to watch. <laughs> it feels like it's a solid 5 minutes. I know it's not that long, but it feels like a solid 5 no, minutes. No, it definitely of this feels guy. It feels <laughs> like, like he's just punching Jason in the face for forever. And like he and throughout the whole movie, they say how he's like a not a pro boxer, but like he's been training, you know, like uh-huh. I think he boxes for school or something. So he's on his way to be pro. Spoiler alert. He don't go pro because he matches up with heavyweight slasher champion of the universe, Jason Voorhees. OK, first of all, if we're going <laughs> with true boxing, uh, Jason gets a penalty on it because he like grabs his collar. <laughs> and then the one smacks his head off. Oh my god. Uh brutal. TKO. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even know if that's technical. No, that's just a knockout right there for sure. Well, it knocked his head out, technically. <laughs> technically speaking, that is true. Yeah. All the way it, it rolls 
his head just flies off of like whatever building they're on, rolls down into a dumpster that closes. <laughs> I mean, that would be a home run in Yankee Stadium. Oh my God. Jason's not even <laughs> playing baseball, but he got a home run. Uh, absolutely. Guess you can but call no, that, that a movie. grand slam. <laughs> <laughs> All of the. Jason is just always fascinating to me because every single one of his movies just progressively gets more campy and stupid Mm -hmm. every single time. And my enjoyment of them progressively gets higher and higher every (laughs) single time I watch one. Oh, yeah. I'm in the same boat. No, absolutely. I I love Friday the 13th. It's such a a fun franchise. Hey, you're on the same level as me. We both love stupid stuff. exactly but uh you you can't talk about jason for too long without talking about freddy yeah that is true and a nightmare movie does take the 48 spot i'm surprised this moment's actually at like low where it is but i mean there's so many moments i did not put on this list that i love i'm gonna do an honorable mention right now because there are no chucky movies on here Hmm. whatsoever and an honorable mention moment is from the first child's play moment uh is from the first child's play where uh the mom opens the doll and there's no batteries and then his head just swivels around like you want to play that is like one of the best jump scares (laughs) oh yeah well i mean chucky is basically just the living jump scare (laughs) <laughs> but uh yeah chucky doesn't appear on this list <laughs> so so i mean you know just recently released that new movie megan i'm like like uh i'm like this this is just like new age chucky <laughs> i don't particularly want to see it because it's just new age chucky it is camp and it is fabulous I, it's what it all looks like it, it's it's great but also Chucky has haunted my dreams before in the past. And, you know, I don't want that, you know, I don't want that evil in my life. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, Fair yeah. enough. I've got enough going on in my life. I don't need more. <laughs> Come on. Fair enough. But yeah, uh, on to number 48. I already said it's a nightmare movie. It's a nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors. We all love the Dream Warriors, I think. Classic. And the moment might be the basic answer, but it's my list. Deal with it. Welcome to prime time, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly, that one gets me every single time. Just, it, just yeah, fucking TV with with his, honestly <laughs> the robot arms just great. I think it's brilliant. I love it because, like, here here's why I love nightmare on elm street dream warriors because in like the first movie you don't really see the dreams too often you see like the characters sleeping while they're being killed and being thrown by something you can't see you really only see nancy's dreams and i guess you see tina's dream in the beginning but you see like the aftermath and like the real world aspect but in three you actually go into the dreams yeah and what i love about part three is freddie is knows that these are you know these are kids in a uh hospital and their lives already suck so of course they're dreaming of being on tv and with and whatnot 
So he uses their dreams, not just like sleeping dreams, but like dreams of their futures of what they want to become and turns it against them. And that's messed up. Well, yeah, I mean, this is that movie is like the first time where Freddie really like shines in his way of he's a he's a take every customer kind of horror villain. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not just messing with, you know, white kids in a suburban neighborhood going to a high school anymore. I'm I'm messing with kids who actually have serious problems. And, you know, doesn't matter if your life sucks. I'm just going to make it worse because he's Freddy. Like, <laughs> and <laughs> Freddy is the only thing. And Freddy is a motherfucker. <laughs> oh, my God. He is. Dude, Gotta is love just, him. Oh, God. He's just that in like you know just thinking about it throughout all times like your dreams not being safe that shit's terrifying i love dreams i've got i have wild dreams dreams about just random things all the time well i hope freddie don't visit you tonight because of this conversation (laughs) yeah i know i'm gonna knock on some wood right here yep (laughs) yeah please for Um, love of god I think Freddy's great because, and well, I no, I think Dream Warriors is great because I think it is the perfect balance between funny Freddy and scary Freddy. Because he gets his one-liners in the original in part two, but he's so funny in this one, but he's still scary. He's not too funny. Some of the other 80s ones, he they're basically comedies with a little bit of gore, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> I was going to say, I think, like, that's kind of the, like, his, like, sitting point. Like, that's kind of the point where I I enjoy him the most. But for (laughs) me, yeah, I get it. But for me, Dream Warriors is where I enjoy him the most because he has that perfect balance between scary and funny. And he might be at his nastiest in Dream Warriors. (laughs) At his most cruel. Just for setting up the stage? Yeah, honestly. Yeah. Regardless of what he does in it, it's just who he's doing it to. <laughs> true. True. Yeah, Dream Warriors is great. I There's so many moments I could pick from this movie, but I got to go with my favorite Friday line. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Honestly, completely unexpected of a line, too. Like right, out of Now it's all, like his most famous. <laughs> uh, which, which is just wild when you're thinking about it, because, you know, you finally get her to fall asleep. She's even trying right. to stay awake by like shoving a cigarette in her fucking arm. And she literally gets pulled up by arms. Could have had a thousand different lines. And he goes, it's prime time. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's killer line. Hey. But, um, <laughs> I love it. Moving on to 47, we're going from one supernatural villain who messes with the minds of uh, children before they get got to a monster who messes with the minds of children before they get got. I'm talking about Pennywise (laughs) and 2017's It, Mm -hmm. which I guess is It Chapter One. And my favorite moment from It is when the kids are confronting Pennywise in the haunted house on the corner and Pennywise is about to 
he's taunting Eddie, basically about to eat him and his broken arm. And Bill and Richie like storm in there. And Bill being Bill, the leader, he's like, don't don't worry, guys. He's not real. He's not real. And Pennywise just goes, oh, I'm not real. I'm not real enough for you, Bill. I was real enough for Georgie. Holy shit. What uh-huh. a clap back. <laughs> oh, my God. That honestly, the whole haunted house scene just freaked me out in that film. Yeah, uh, it, like like literally even them just, you know, all on their bikes rolling up to it. I was freaked out about it as soon as they showed the <laughs> house. And then just the amount of like, like min- it almost feels like 20 minutes. They're in that house, just yeah. like opening doors with nothing happening. And you're like, something like something's going to happen. Like the ball is going to drop here some way. And when it does, oh, my God, that that was that whole haunted house scene. Just it freaked me out. It was great, though. It is great. But just the amount of petty in that single line, <laughs> call him petty wise. <laughs> yeah. Pennywise, call him petty wise for sure. The way I gasped in the theater. We are kind of going through the franchises a little bit. And at number 46, we're bringing in what I think, I think one of the Holy Grail horror franchises. I don't know a horror fan that doesn't, that doesn't like, if not love this franchise. The pick for 46 is Army of Darkness from the Evil Dead franchise. Go green. Go white. Fun fact for those who might not know. There is a Michigan State connection with Evil Dead and uh, uh, Michigan State University. A Spartans. Spartans will make the bloodiest horror films of ever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, we will. There's no stopping well, us. Army of Darkness, I think, is the least bloody of the Evil Dead movies. And it's like the campiest and the most fun. I don't know. No, I don't want to use fun, but I think it's the most lighthearted. Yeah, probably. I, I would have to put Army of Darkness in that. It's still, I mean, there's, love it. There, there's lighthearted in literally every single one of them. Oh, yeah. Even well, the not, the re- not the remake, though. Okay, well, the remake just went over the top with its dark, everybody dies, Book of the Dead is, you know, corrupting everything, and the witch is absolutely terrifying. Yeah, yeah that remake will not appear on this list. But I think it is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. And I'm really excited for Evil Dead Rise. <laughs> I am too. You just think, sent me the yeah. uh, trailer of it the other day. And I I mean, I'm looking forward to going to see it together. Oh, yeah. Because I don't know if you remember, but we saw the Evil Dead remake sitting in an auditorium hall at MSU together because there was a sneak preview for free for MSU students to go see it. You saw that with Adam. By the way, Adam, if you're listening to this shout out, because I had to drop ball at the last second because I was in the band and I went to a basketball trip. What? Oh, come on. No way. I thought you were there. (laughs) I was supposed to be there. I was supposed to be there. We got our tickets well ahead of time and I was really excited. But then I had an opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. with uh, one of the basketball bands. And I didn't want to pass that up. That is true. Yeah, because uh, 
who popped out as a special guest for that? Sam Raimi didn't show up, but it was his uh, brother who helped him. With Ivan Raimi, I think. Yeah, Ivan Raimi. And I was bummed. Up. I was bummed that I missed, but like I had to go on that trip. Not like I was forced well, to go on that. I mean, like I love traveling and I had an opportunity. <laughs> well, yeah. And also you're you're banned through and through. Like uh, yeah. you get that opportunity when you've got it. Yeah. But I did end up seeing my mom showed me the Evil Dead remake, actually. Really? <laughs> yeah. Just, mom, just out of the blue. Well, she saw it in theaters with her friend. She said it was the scariest horror movie she'd ever seen and she never wants to see it again but then she didn't want me to have to see it by myself so she put it on for me to make sure i would never i wouldn't have to see it by myself <laughs> that that is that is probably one of the most your mom stories i've ever heard the things mothers do for their children and i might have the best mother ever so Shout out to you if you're listening to this, Mom. And uh, I'm excited to traumatize you with Evil Dead Rise later this year. <laughs> Evan will oh, be yeah. there. She, she better go to the theater with us. That'll be great. <laughs> but the moment for Army of Darkness, I guess I should get to that. Well, for sure. Is the iconic speech Ash Williams gives to the to the medieval folks after he after he disposes of one of the deadites. And uh, I I don't know the whole speech off the top of my head, but to me, it is a, this is my boomstick speech. Oh my God. <laughs> yep. There is, for for that movie, just, just the leaps it takes to start off in like a department store, then take you into <laughs> medieval times. To, oh, it, it travels, which... It, travels <laughs> which which is a great thing for films i always love films that you know kind of take you you know distances they they don't keep everything located in one singular area right which thinking about it the evil dead was known for keeping you in a singular <laughs> <area>. <laughs> it's the first one of them that actually is like nah let's you know branch out and take you to a different world might be the only one that does well evil dead 2 takes you to like the medieval times for like a the very last like minute <laughs> well, well teasing yeah, army but, of darkness <laughs> yeah that that's just a teaser though doesn't exactly uh, right do it. totally i i well, love yeah, no, when he's this I, is my boomstick with the shotgun yeah. it's, it's great <laughs> I love when he's making that speech and he just throws in made in Grand Rapids, Michigan. (laughs) (laughs) Grand Rapids, Michigan. Shout out to Grand Rapids. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, I love it. I, I love the movie. I love that. And uh, it's great. (laughs) Bruce Campbell forever. Oh man. Bruce Campbell being on my television screen on my movie theater screens whatever it may be as long as he's on it you you know you're watching something good pizza papa always gets paid pizza papa better get his money just saying (laughs) the absolute disrespect dr strange come on fun fact fun fact about army of dark you probably already know this but everyone listening if you don't know this army of darkness at one point was supposed to be called the medieval dead. Yeah, that honestly, 
would have been an amazing name for it. Uh, at 45, we are going with the classic, The Bride of Frankenstein. Ooh. And my moment for this is actually a really heartfelt, sweet moment. It's in like the middle of the movie where Frankenstein's monster has escaped from from like the police or whatever. And he goes up to this random cabin in the woods where he makes a friend. He meets the blind musician, the blind violinist. And like that whole part where the the blind man is just, you know, teaching him to talk Mm -hmm. like drink good smoke good (laughs) like it warms my heart i love it i I mean it it just goes for the whole frankenstein thing is frankenstein's never been like a monster he's never been a true villain evil monster it's always been the doctor yeah absolutely well i guess he's also frankenstein Little little weird kind of, you know. Well, he's like it's Dr. Frankenstein and then Frankenstein's <laughs> monster, who we just call Frankenstein. But yeah, I mean he he's never been the villain. And I, I right. think regardless of anything, even reading the original Frankenstein novel, it's just it's always great to see the moments where there's someone who realizes he's not bad. Yeah. He just looks like a monster. Right. And then it makes the ending of that film like more heartbreaking because he finally gets a companion and she's just first thing she does when she sees him is like, ah! <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And it's just I, like, I mean, oh, poor baby. <laughs> I know, right? Like Frankenstein is like the ultimate, you want to root for him. But also, he's like eight feet tall, incredibly strong, and stitched together. And you're like, and he does kill people. Like, oh, well, well, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, After. sometimes it's not on purpose, but some, sometimes he he's just killing people. <laughs> okay, at the beginning, he was always killing people because he just like, you know, take take your like standard two year old or three year old and give them super strength. They're going to end up killing people. They don't know any better. People are going to die. But we will come back to that. Believe you me, we'll come back to that. We're going to move on for right now. Because I don't want to start talking about the first Frankenstein. Because, spoiler alert, we're going to do that later on this list. (laughs) Oh, okay. Number 44. I'm going with a recent sci-fi horror flick that I think is a little slept on. It's called Annihilation, directed by, and I believe written also by Alex Garland, who I think his he's best known for writing and directing Ex Machina, which is mm. a great film. But Annihilation is my only Alex Garland film on here. And the moment, if you know me, you probably already know the moment. It is the bear scene. An annihilation. Okay. Full transparency. Never watched the movie in my life. But Did you watch the scene? I watched the scene. <laughs> and I am more confused and I want to watch this movie more than anything now. It is such a terrifying scene. I mean, it you're you're loose in calling that thing a bear. It's an abomination <laughs> upon God. 
half it's of its bear. stage is like not there. <laughs> it's like, oh, the thing is terrifying. You, you thought cocaine bear was something? This is a uh, uh, black tar heroin bear. <laughs> okay, that, that makes sense. No, this is this is a uh, what's it called? A uh, crocodile where its flesh is falling. <laughs> <laughs> Well, for Crocodile. some context, oh, Annihilation is a really hard sci-fi, hard sci-fi film that has to do with like a new, like an area being uh, affected by extraterrestrial activity, and the bear got genetically modified because of it. That is a very, very vague and loose explanation. But well, I'm glad I'm, you, you yeah, at least expressed that much because I have no idea. I saw a bear with half of its face removed. Trying to eat some people. (laughs) And when you watch it in context, it's even more terrified. (laughs) I can only imagine so. If you haven't seen Annihilation, I'm sorry I spoiled the best part, but it is still an amazing, slow... There's just a sense of dread in that film. It's hard sci-fi. I think it's pure horror because cosmic horror like scares the shit out of me. And this is some good cosmic horror. Yeah, cosmic horror is, like, really hard to do. Yeah, and I I think this one does it well. Hmm. Because when in doubt, throw a bear into the mix. (laughs) I mean, we didn't spoil much of the scene. No, no, we didn't. So First uh, of all, because I know what happens in the scene, but I have absolutely no context to it. (laughs) And you have all the context, and you've been vague as can be. That's true. That's true. I'll let the people know. This bear just annihilates. Well, first off, the first scene, the first scene is like Natalie Portman, Tessa Thompson, and another woman is tied up. I forget why. It's been a last time I saw this film was in theater when it came out in theaters in 2018. So I forget why exactly they were tied up. But then the bear and this bear had already killed someone um, in the movie. This bear just kind of moseys on into the house. And it's just this scene of pure terror intention because these women are trapped and they can't move. And the bears like sniffing and like doing bear things. Another woman bursts in with a machine gun and the bear wasn't having it. Mauls her to death with one of like and like I mean, kills her violently. Oh, yeah, no, the the woman who dies, yeah, that is a gruesome death. Her and jaw also, gets slapped off. And also, I want everybody listening to know that he's using the term bear very loosely. <laughs> this, this is like a cosmic horror that's in the shape of a bear. Thing is terrifying. You, you wouldn't know this without context, so I'm going <laughs> to tell you. The noises the bear makes is the screams of the woman he killed earlier in the movie. Oh, oh no. Oh, yeah. So this thing is literally just like an eldritch horror. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Oh, no. That's even worse. (laughs) You got to you got to watch this film. And then you got to text me right after because you're gonna be like, what the fuck, Austin? I'm gonna be like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. Annihilation. 
Actually, let me know when you watch it. Have me over because I haven't seen it since it came out. I need to rewatch it. So <laughs> fair enough. We'll but I'll it. never, I'll never forget the bear scene. I'll <laughs> never forget it. From what I saw, it's wild. <laughs> On to number 43. I am going with the second iconic greatest werewolf movie of 1981. I'm going with Joe Dante's The Howling because the Halloween, the Halloween is awesome. I was going to say, you you narrowed that down to a very specific time period right there. Uh, the absolute second greatest 1981 uh, werewolf film. I wonder I did that for a reason. First. I did that for a reason. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm aware of the reason you did it, but... And uh, everyone who loves werewolves, you you know the reason. I don't think I don't think anyone would argue with me the hollow that the that the Halloween is uh, number two. Yeah, it's still love, one of the greatest we werewolf movies. The Halloween, the Halloween. Stop it! <laughs> but uh, my favorite moment in the Halloween is uh, when the one woman she is going through. They're trying to find like evidence of like conspiracy and werewolf and she's looking for like a folder and the folder gets handed to her by the werewolf and one of the <laughs> funniest jump scares that will ever like it i don't think anything will be how funny but also how scary it is <laughs> yes so i i just watched this scene right before right before we came into this i've seen the movie before a long time yeah. ago and she doesn't get handed the she's literally just there are like six manila like folders <laughs> in front of her and she's like picking them up not even opening them and just flipping them around right. and then all you see is a werewolf hand grab the top of them and like throws them away and then, and then she then like looks up it's like of the werewolf just like screaming at her and you're like oh my god and then he bitch slaps her. <laughs> yeah, just full open hand, full open hand, <laughs> all the weight behind it, just straight smack across the face. It's oh, glorious. It's it is an iconic scene. I, I will give that to you. That that scene is just that's just fun. <laughs> and like I, I could have went with the super tragic ending. I could have went with its equally iconic werewolf transformation where the skin's all like bubbly and stuff. I could have went with like the 2D animated werewolf sex scene. Yeah, you could have. <laughs> but I have to go with that scare because it is uh, so fun. Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, that is we're not talking about the scariest movie scariest moments in movies right here we're talking, we're talking about, about our... <laughs> the favorite the yeah. fun and exactly. that moment is just fun exactly if you have a chance to watch it it's just the you get that 1980s like kind of campiness out of it mm -hmm. you get that you know this is a dude in a werewolf costume who is given full rights to just wind up and use this you know, long werewolf arms to just lay a smack on a person. <laughs> and it shows, and it is just, it's wild. <laughs> it's so great. 
the howling would would honestly be the greatest werewolf movie of its year had it come out in a different year it just happened to come out at the same year as the greatest werewolf movie not named the wolfman (laughs) yeah but we'll get to that we'll get to that Uh, uh, yeah of course at number 42 there's no way i'm leaving pinhead out of this list at number 42 i got the original hellraiser and the scene is where Kirsty meets the Cenobites. Yeah, so that scene is just, God, all the Cenobites. It's like your true, like, first, like, introduction to all of them. Yeah. Like, like as a group. And, I mean, honestly, first time you watch it, the, like, Pinhead is, he's creepy in and of itself. Right. He's not even remotely the creepiest of all of them. Yeah. Every single other one is far creepier and more like if this person showed up in an alley in the middle of the night, I would prefer Pinhead over probably every single other one of the Cenobites. Well, my my favorite is the Chatterer. Oh, God. And just that nickname alone, you know which one I'm talking about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I do. It is so creepy. I love him. It's because they're all terrifying in their own way. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I mean, but, like, you know, Pinhead, who's supposed to be like the scariest one. Well, the one the leader. Like he's the leader. Most, yeah. The leader, the one you see the most. He's the least intimidating out of all of them. You know what I think makes him intimidating is Doug Bradley's brilliant performance, especially his voice for the character. Because okay, well, look wise, look wise, I I think he is the less scary, the least scary look wise. But when he starts talking, you fucking listen. <laughs> yeah, his and presence. That's the point I was yeah. that's the point I was going to is look wise. He's less assuming. Just kind of looks like a person with a pinch, you know. Who's, Who you calling pinhead? Who's going through acupuncture? you know he's he's just getting some therapy done you know it happens right Right. every single other one of them looks like something ripped straight out of uh oh god what's the what's the movie with the oh pan's labyrinth oh yeah ripped right out of pan's labyrinth (laughs) yeah every single other one looks like just this otherworldly demonic creature he looks like a dude with a bunch of pins in his head but when, his, when you got acupuncture at eight, but you got to tear some souls apart at nine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, that's that's his that's his whole motif. It's what he does. But <laughs> the reason why this scene is my favorite is because when Penhead starts talking, yeah. it's like banger line after banger line. First off, but just the delivery, the presence Penhead has. I think it's one of the great villain introductions of any movie, let alone any horror movie. I mean, even like Chrissy's line right at the start, just her screaming, why won't you just leave me alone? Right. And it's like, I've never actually thought about that. <laughs> well, my I love when like she's uh, understandably crying because holy fuck, <laughs> I would be too. And he goes, Oh, mm-hmm. no tears. That's a waste of good suffering. I'm like, shit, dude. 
<laughs> yeah. Stop crying. We want to make this suck. <laughs> and then, like, she bargains with them, like, don't take me, take the guy who escaped you. And he's like, maybe, maybe. I'm like, take the deal, dude. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good deal. But then, of course, he's just like, if you fail, and he ends this iconic scene with the iconic line, we'll tear your soul apart. I love that. <laughs> it's, it is one of the, well, I mean, it's the most iconic line of that whole franchise. The whole Hellraiser everything. It is one of my favorite lines in any movie. It is so... It's a bold claim. I, I just think it is the perfect mix of pure horror with a little bit of camp. No, I let me rephrase. I think that line is, is just perfectly encapsulates what the tone of the Hellraiser franchise, what the spirit of the Hellraiser franchise is. Well, true. I mean, you have to create these. I, I, you can't. They're both villains and monsters. And I like, mean, he says late. Like, I, I think he says in this scene. Yeah, uh, angels to some, demons to others. Yeah, like like they they're just in order to you know take their motive. You can't have a more badass kind of line of this is what we're intending to do with you. Exactly. Whether that is, you know, a relief or whether it's the most terrifying thing that is ever going to happen to any human being ever, it's up to you to decide. <laughs> and only Clive Barker could come up with a line like that. So True. respect to Clive Barker. Um, another one of his creations appears on this list, but I do believe that is my only Hellraiser pick. So... I, I love Hellraiser 2, Hellbound Hellraiser 2, and I really enjoyed the new Hellraiser on Hulu that came out in October of last year. But yeah, sadly, no more Pinhead on this list. Aww. But number 41, we're going to one of those films where it's horror adjacent. You could mm -hmm. argue it's not quite horror. I think it has horror scenes. It's, de it's definitely a sci-fi action adventure, but I do think there's enough horror elements. And I'm talking about 2005, Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds. Yeah, you, you just had to sneak Steven Spielberg onto this list, didn't you? I didn't have to sneak, <laughs> but I had to sneak my tripods in. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, because this doesn't really pop up in the horror conversations, and I get why, but I think it's enough to where if I saw like artwork of the tripods at a horror convention, I wouldn't, I wouldn't second guess it. I'd be like, yeah, those belong to be there. The tripods are scary. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, even even though it is sci-fi, it is set. It's world that it builds. Yeah, it's 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 all horror. A lot of sci-fi does it to where 
you know, you can build any world you want in sci-fi, whether dystopian or world at war, a world that's, you know, way futuristic and, you know, you've got your flying cars and your craziness or there's something truly terrifying about a world that the whole planet is in a fight with an alien species that invaded you. Yeah, I think that would be one of the most horror aspects of a sci-fi that you can take. Oh, yeah, for sure. And with Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds, it came out in 2005. It is one of the first blockbusters to deal with the aftermath of 9-11. And it's a little transparent in that regard with the imagery. Yeah, very um, much so. But it's but I think it's important at that time because we, the United States and, you know, the artists at that time were still processing that event. Like that event yeah. changed everything. And horror is an excellent genre to deal with um, these dark thoughts and processing traumatic events. But like the moment for this film, I ended up going with the intersection scene, which is the first appearance of the tripod and Tom Cruise running from the first tripod. Oh, yeah. As it's spinning the lasers and all of the cars disintegrating people. Yeah. Oh, my God. That is that's just iconic of, you know, he, he finally makes it into the house and he's just covered in dust. And he's like. Well, that's like the 9-11 imagery. And it's like, yeah, absolutely. And it's like, this is other people? (laughs) Like, they disintegrated their bodies, but not their clothes. (laughs) And the clothes are, like, falling. Oh, my God. Drifting down. That is one of the coolest images. Like, one of the... It's haunting. Terrifying, but one of the coolest images of... Yeah, no, that's just a disintegration beam. Yeah. It touches you and your body just poof dust and like in this scene in this scene whether or not you think war of the worlds is a true horror or not there is so much amazing horror filmmaking going on in this scene true like my no that that whole scene it just if you can't see that that scene is horror reminiscent or horror inspired that uh, that that scene is just it, it's wild, terrifying. I think I think War of the Worlds might be Steven Spielberg at his meanest, or at least his meanest since uh since like Duel and Jaws. <laughs> yeah, probably. But definitely, yeah. There's some mean spirited uh, filmmaking in War of the Worlds that you don't see in War Horse or The Post. <laughs> what? No way. But um I, I love War of the talk Worlds about anyway. Joey the horse like that. <laughs> but I uh I love War of the Worlds and I think it needed to be on this list. Yeah, no, I think it's that a good scene alone. That. that scene is awesome. Absolutely awesome for a horror moment. Oh yeah. Moving on to number 40. The first of and but not the last we'll see of John Carpenter. I have in the Mouth of Madness, starring Sam Neill. In the Mouth of Madness is a wonderful 
weird movie that I saw for the first time this year and it skyrocketed in most of my rankings of any rank. I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. Did I get it? I don't know. I don't think I did. I, I still need to see it again, but I loved it. Yeah, that's fair enough. I have not seen this movie before. So it's obviously another one that's going to go onto my list, but it's John Carpenter. So you kind of know what to expect. Sort exactly. Of? Sort like, of? You know, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> but In the Mouth of Madness stars Sam Neill. It's about a uh, a book agent who or an investigator. No, I'm sorry. He's an investigator. He's trying to find a writer, but this writer basically finds himself in some Lovecraftian bullshit and things get weird and it's awesome. Oh, I love that. That sounds great. My moment I have on here, like on the list that I gave to Evan so he could prepare, I just put highway jump scare because I don't know how else to describe it. So I did watch a moment of the film, but I'm not mm. sure if it was actually the highway jump scare. I'll describe my moment and then you'll describe yours. <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> so f for me, and it, 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 it doesn't have much to do with the plot, but it scarred me. I've thought about it for like days after because it is one of my greatest fears. You're driving on the highway and it's dark. And the only lights are your headlights. So you can only see the couple, like, however, depending on your headlights, the 30 mm -hmm. whatever feet in front of you as you're going 70, 80 miles an hour. Yeah. And then just a figure appears out of nowhere. Okay. Now, oddly enough, I do have a story like that. Oh, God. Absolutely terrifying. Uh, so I was driving down a road around mm -hmm. us i think it was like in the belleville area oh okay yeah so dark roads no like overhead street lamps or anything and i was like okay well i can turn on my high beam now because you know there's no cars coming up to me and i turn on my high beam and there's just a dude standing at the side of the road like not doing anything he's just standing there and he was probably like you know, 100 yards away from me, just just standing on the side of the road. And I freaked the F out. I drove past him. Dude didn't move at all. Didn't even look at my car as I was going past. Was just staring down the road, just standing there. I, I, I swear to God, I got out of that area. And my heart was just pounding at a million miles a minute. And I was like, whew. Uh, that was, yeah, no, that was terrifying. I've, That's uh, one of my greatest fears because I hate driving. If that happened to me, I would never drive again. <laughs> Not at night, at least. <laughs> okay, well, I absolutely love driving, so didn't kind of stop me. But I was like, that was one of the weirdest moments I've ever had while driving. Oh, uh, and yeah, that's basically the moment in the movie. <laughs> Well, at least he wasn't like in the middle of the road. I wasn't like freaked out that I was going to hit him, but he was like off to right. the side of the road, like way too close to the side of the road for me to like be comfortable with it. Right. And I was like, that was kind of weird. Like I rectified it in my brain, like hey, maybe he was just waiting for another car to pick him up and he thought it might have been my car, but obviously it wasn't because I wasn't stopping. 
Right. I don't know, or maybe it was my brain playing tricks on me and there was a ghost. No, no, we're moving <laughs> on. What was a clip that you seen? Okay, so my clip that I saw of this movie was, uh, it has to be your investigator, but uh, he was in an alleyway with mm-hmm. a bunch of like these zombie sort of creatures and stuff like that. And gotcha, a yeah. police officer behind him. Looks like a normal police officer, and he spins around running away from these, like, you know, decrepit zombie-like people and runs into this police officer, who also turns out to be a zombie, and then he wakes (laughs) up from it, and he's back, you know, sitting on a couch and something like that, and, you know, he's just taking a big breather, then he turns to the right, and the police officer's zombie thing is sitting on the couch right next to him, and then he wakes (laughs) up again. (laughs) <laughs> he woke yeah. up from dream to another dream to wake up from that dream just iconic i, I remember oh, okay. that moment and uh that jump scare got me as well <laughs> there's so I, I many great jump scares in this film i was going to say this movie very much just from that scene i watched it reminds me of a david lynch film I think you can no describe I I think you could describe in the mouth of madness as surrealistic as well cuz there's like a dreamlike quality to it and it really makes you question reality when you watch this film. At number 39, we have a film from a filmmaker who is the opposite of that. He makes films that are raw gritty fun over stylized which is which i mean as a compliment by the way i'm talking Mm -hmm. about one of my favorite filmmakers robert rodriguez nice the man only knows how to make badass movies and i love him for that from machete to desperado to spy kids (laughs) his movies are fun his movies are stylized they hit hard and i i i love his i love his movies i love robert rodriguez's style but his his big contribution to the horror genre is the iconic from dusk till dawn oh which might be my favorite vampire movie now that i think of it honestly wouldn't i wouldn't knock you off for it being it's it's just such a fun movie and while there are so many like horror moments I am going with a comedy moment for this one because when Tom Savini pulls out what I can only call the crotch rocket, <laughs> which is basically a gun on like a cup holster. Okay. Well, it could be the crotch rocket. It could be the penis pistol. Penis pistol. Yeah. It could be the, you know, <laughs> grundle Glock. Who knows? <laughs> Plenty of different phrases for it. You could call it your boomstick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is my boomstick. Yeah, but <laughs> the reveal of that makes me laugh every time, even though I know it's coming. Uh, a... <laughs> oh, oh, God, please, no. Oh, no, uh, please. Please stop oh, it. But, uh... <laughs> I, but I just I just want like the surrealism of the moment to where this guy who's at a table like grabs yeah. a knife and points it at him and he's just like 
yeah, you don't want to try that because my penis is a pit. That thing would be useful, useless in the scenario if that guy tried to stab him with a knife. Like, yeah, he's over a table. That thing is not pointing at the table. <laughs> like, it's like you you think you can stab me right now? I've got this thing right here. <laughs> and he's like, "All right, you win this fight." I mean, it doesn't have to work. It has to intimidate, and that it do. I was gonna say, yeah, that is. Uh, I don't know. Honestly, though, at least he wasn't overcompensating for him anything because that was a pretty short barrel on it. <laughs> he doesn't need to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he wasn't overcompensating for anything. Right. That's how you know he's loaded. <laughs> oh god! Had it been like massive, then it's like, oh, you're compensating. But it's like this tiny thing, and it's like, no, you're confident. Yeah, no, you you know what you got, and you know you're rolling with it. Uh, fun fact: while we're still on this movie, I got to meet Tom Savini at one of the horror hounds I went to last year, and. Oh. I did get an autographed picture of him from Dusk Till Dawn with the Crotch Rocket. Oh, my God. That is amazing. It is one of my favorite pieces in my collection, my autograph collection. So <laughs> just, you know, keep that away from children. Yes. Yes, <laughs> that is that is fair. Uh, also, from Dusk Till Dawn, not a film for children. No, no, it is not. Not even remotely. But it's a great film. I love it. I want more Tarantino Rodriguez collaborations. I know they did. I know they did the Grindhouse double the uh, double feature with Planet Terror and Death Proof. But I want like a legit collaboration soon. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I would. I would love that. That would be great. Just just before we cannot take away the moment of mention of all of them of the machete cutting open the intestines and rappelling down the side of a building <laughs> holding on to a person's small intestine that's an iconic scene if i have to mention one Fair. absolutely 10 out of 10 how could i forget <laughs> and then just the mention of you know which always just makes me laugh because they bring up like an actual medically legit like reason it saying yeah the intestines there's like 40 feet of intestines within a person's body <laughs> now that's real but there's not a chance in hell it could hold a human being's body weight as they're jumping out of a building not with that attitude <laughs> i mean i guess you just have to be machete machete machete, machete don't text <laughs> <laughs> no he does not Oh, I love it. 38. We have one of like, I think the greatest remakes ever made. 1978's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And I just got to go with the iconic moment. The very end. Donald Sutherland. He got got. He got invaded by the Body Snatchers. And that scream while he's like pointing at Veronica Cartwright. And just like the camera's going up in his face is scary. It is the scariest face. Oh my God. It's, it's a long scream too. And it's like this unnatural. I just rewatched that. Yeah. Re that scene for the first time in a long time. 
I did not know that he held that scream for a good like 15 to 30 seconds of just pure what just sounds like horror and just like insides ripping up. It was just like it was painful. And like the you got to give props to the sound department, whoever made that sound effect like Mm -hmm. because it is the most unnatural, inhuman, horrifying sound. God. I hate it, and that's why I love it. Yes, that that's the only thing you can say about it. I hate it, and that's why I love <laughs> it. Up next at thirty-seven, I have I have the only uh, representation for one of the most iconic franchises for us growing up. Mm-hmm. I had I just had. If I'm being honest with myself, I had to put on something from the Paranormal Activity series. And this isn't really a moment, more of like a technique, because it happens a couple of times throughout the film. Paranormal Activity 3 is my favorite one. I think it's the best one, in my opinion, at least. I th- For me, it's the most engaging story. It has like really inventive techniques and the technique that, it's taken the moment slot, I guess, for this one is when the dad attaches his camera to the fan that like one of those motion fans that go left to right. So oh, the camera yeah. goes left to right on a on like a steady rhythm and it trains the audience to expect something when it goes all the way to the right. But there's nothing. Then it goes all the way to the left and you keep expecting to like get scared but it plays with you all movie yes yes it does i although that's that's kind of what the entire paranormal activity franchise did because because the first one made you afraid every time you went to the night scene yeah it trained you to be afraid of that shot as soon as night vision came on yeah you were like oh something's about to happen and half the time if not more nothing happened right you're like well what is going on but then like the moments that something does happen are just absolutely terrifying oh and yeah. i mean that's just drawing off the you know the same goodwill as you know all of those other found footage type films and stuff like that i mean they created such a unique way of causing tension yeah without budget which kudos to them. They managed to create a multi-million dollar film on a pip squeak of a budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a a uh, multi-million franchise. Oh well, yeah, because once they found out they could do it, once they they wanted more. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and they sustained that franchise for a long time. In fact, the franchise is still going. <laughs> is it? When was the most recent? Uh, last year it went it went straight to Paramount Plus, but hmm. I have not watched it yet. I'm slacking, but haven't either. They're still going. It's that's, that's awesome. That's wild. I mean, because let's face it, also another one from our childhood in the same vein of things, the Blair Witch Project. Mm-hmm. That that was pretty much the same deal on a different sort of scale. And they found out, like, hey, this could be profitable, this, you know, low budget, 
not much is happening but give them like the taste of these like horrifying moments you don't even have to see anything right in order for it to be terrifying and i think that's the best part about it is not seeing things became more terrifying than when you saw things exactly yeah you created such a ridiculous tension throughout the entirety of the film. It, it was always so weird because I, I was never the biggest fan of any of those films, but it's because it did its job to me. And that was the worst thing about it <laughs> in my own way is that it made watching it, you know, full of tension, anxiety, stressful just watching the moments go by that, you know, nothing happened. And then when something did happen, it didn't matter or it didn't help you relieve the stress, didn't give you like that sense of, okay, I have a moment to like, you know, let my guard down. Right. Because they just built up the whole atmosphere is like, oh no, this could happen at any time, any moment. Yep. And, and it, it just keeps you on your toes. Yeah, you know, I, I don't like that. I like my, uh, you know, old cut and dry cookie cutter horror type things to where once something massive happens, I've got, you know, at least a couple of minutes to where I can let my guard down. <laughs> <laughs> people need to regroup. People, people need to breathe a little bit. You got to give them a second. And sometimes people need to laugh. Sometimes you can have a little levity in there. Oh, my so, God. Please. So at number 36. We have the first uh, representative from a franchise that knows how to balance scares with laughs. At number 36, I have Scream 4. Mm, yes. My moment for this one is, now there's a lot of moments I could have picked from. I love Scream 4. There will always be a special place in my heart for Scream 4 because that was the first slasher movie I've seen, I saw in theaters. Really? Came out in 2011. It was the first slasher movie I saw in theaters. Huh. I also haven't thought of like what my first slasher I saw in theaters was. Probably it might have been, been Scream 4. <laughs> might have been around the same time, yeah. Yeah, Holy but I, I had a hard time picking a moment for this one, to be honest, because there's so many for me. But I ended up picking the moment where Jill, uh, played by Emma Roberts, she basically won, right? She got her plan worked out. So the final step is for her to make it look like she was a victim and she proceeds to throw herself into mirrors, body slam glass tables. She pulls out her own hair. She get mm -hmm. she stabs herself. It is like this insane self-destruction, like her commitment to the bit. Oh, my God. That is was... iconic. <laughs> Oh, it's just absolutely brutal. Just everything about that. And it comes after what I think is a really good villain monologue reveal where she's like explaining her motivations, why she was Ghostface. There's a line in there where she's where like because in 20, 2011, it kind of showed what things would be like 10 years later. <laughs> yeah, true. Because she has a line where she's like, you can't get famous through hard work anymore. You have to have fucked up shit happen to you. And then she's like, what am I what am I supposed to do with the rest of my life? Go to college, grad school, work. 
<laughs> oh, hitting hard to huh? hitting close to home. Yeah, oh, okay. and I was like, I felt that. I felt <laughs> that then. I feel it now. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I was surprised at this point that you didn't toss in something from the new Scream because I, I loved that movie. I love the new Scream too. I I do, but you know. There, there's some surprising omissions on here. I don't have the new scream. I don't have, I don't have prey. I was going to say for one of the funny moments that I would do for the new scream is the person on the couch, like watching the video of the person on the couch saying, nobody's not going to see a person just, you know, standing behind them with a knife. Just <laughs> turn the fuck around. He's right there. <laughs> Right. <laughs> As it happens directly to her. And then, like, and oh then she God. noticed herself yelling at the TV. We're on that TV because uh, that's how, like, it was in the first scream because she's yeah. watching Stab, which is basically the first scream. Yeah. And then she's been... like, wait a second. She turns around and is like, oh, fuck. Because <laughs> she's doing the exact same thing that the that the movie was doing and no that's brilliant that's great i know that that was an awesome moment i i really really enjoyed that moment i thought it was oh, hilarious i, I love the new scream but there's an there's a little bit of a nostalgia factor for me with scream 4 and uh and i i just love that moment where jill just wrecks herself that that was wild just just absolutely unheard of just Oh my God, just the, the amount she does. It's just terrifying. Yeah. Up next, I have one of the scariest movies, in my opinion. I have The Descent. Mm-hmm. The Descent is a group of women go cave diving and they get one of them gets a little too ambitious and tries to go in a unexplored territory where they get trapped. And of course, there are mutant cave dwelling like vampire kind of monsters things think they're humanoid <laughs> and they're fucking scary the, the the only way i can describe them are just things they're they're, they're you know they are horrifying oh my god they absolutely are and my favorite moment from this is such a it's such a devastating moment because one of the girls, she's like fighting off the monsters and kicking ass. And then she turns around because she feels something behind her and it's her friend. And she like, I think she takes not an ax, but um, one of the climbing things like picks. Picks. Yeah. Yeah. And it, like stabs her with the pick and kills her, you know? Mm hmm. It is devastating, God, but I think movie. it's such a great moment. <laughs> oh, it it absolutely is, and that movie is just ah oh, man. I I don't even know. I I watched that once. I think I watched it with you in college. I think yeah, yeah. Might have been that, you, me, and Adam. I think so too. And oh my God, that that was just that movie hit despair. Like yeah. There's no way out. Everything sucks. You're going to die. Like, nailed it. It was just the epitome of despair. Exactly. Which is funny, because my next moment 
is probably the most uplifting, crowd pumping, fist pumping, crowd cheer moment on my list. At number 34, I have James Cameron's Aliens and the iconic scene, the iconic line, Ripley stepping up to fight the Xenomorph Queen in the mech suit. You know the line. Oh, Get away from get her, away you from bitch. Her, you bitch. <laughs> perfect. Oh Absolutely my God. perfect. There are some lines that just epitomize just franchises as a whole. Oddly enough, it came in Aliens. But <laughs> that that line, even throughout Alien, through all of them, that's just the epitome of that whole franchise. <laughs> It is such awesome. a great moment. And I feel like a lot of action movies, I, I know this is a horror podcast, and I think Aliens is a horror action sci-fi movie. I mean, it's a lot of all three. That moment, every action movie's trying to replicate that movie. Well, not every, but like they're trying to have that line. Oh, absolutely. Everything wants to have a line like that. Right. Also, it helps that you also have a badass fight between Ripley in a mech suit versus the alien queen that precedes it. And the or alien like, queen is like, it. and the alien queen is basically like a dinosaur, <laughs> like a large tooth. I, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, Honestly, it's like futuristic Jaws type mo or a uh, Jurassic Park type moment right after that. Right. And yes. you know, I think it's, <laughs> I think that's great. I almost picked. I almost picked uh, where the queen, like, you think they got away, but then the queen, queen reveals she was a stowaway and she stabs yeah. Bishop from behind. That scene always freaked me out because, and it still kind of does, because if it was just blood, I'd be okay. But it's the milk, the android milk that mm. grosses me out. It just grosses me out so much. I hate yep. it. And that's why I love it. I mean, it's all of those like kind of what I would call like crucifixion style scenes where they're just stabbed yeah. and they're lifted up into the air, just, you know, arms out, just yeah, blood, whatever it is pouring out of their chest. That is one of the more finely done of those types of scenes. And it's not technically a kill because Bishop doesn't die from that because he's an android. Technically. But it's it still one of the best kills. I'm pretty it, it, sure it's kill like enough. Well, they use it as a fatality in Mortal Kombat X. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, for anybody else in Mortal Kombat, that's that's death. Yeah. So it counts. We're counting it. <laughs> First of all, in Mortal Kombat, if you can kill Noob Cybot with it, you can you can uh, count that as a kill in the movie. Exactly. <laughs> OK, so moving on. Number thirty three. This is going to be controversial, and I'm pretty sure I'm the only person who would ever put Predator 2 ahead of Aliens, but this is a favorites, not a best of. I don't want anyone thinking I think Predator 2 is better than Aliens. I just happen to like it a little more because Predator Predator 2 is batshit crazy. Yes, it is. It is a bonkers movie. And my favorite scene is the subway scene yeah i agree with that that's just just that whole subway encounter is just spectacular and like leading up to it where there's this brilliant gag 
where there, there's like uh, shenanigans taking a foot on the subway. The predator's not even there yet. And like these uh, punks are harassing this guy who pulls out a pistol on them and then they pull out their pistols and then like everyone in the subway pulls out their pistols and then the predator shows up a little later and murders the I mean, subway. That's just the, that's just the good old US of A. Everybody has a pistol. God bless America. And more importantly, God bless the predator. <laughs> yeah, as, as the funniest thing I can say about it is, you know, it kind of becomes a moment that's like a Mexican standoff with everybody yeah. having the guns shown at each other. And I'm like, the the phrase Mexican standoff makes no sense because that only happens in America. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I think there ain't no way you're finding 10 people with a gun all pointing at each other unless you're in the red, white, and blue. I think whoever coined that phrase was projecting, just saying. <laughs> Probably. But yeah, to quote the Predator from Predator 2, shit happens, and we're moving on to number 32. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I am sure the Predator at some point did say shit happens. Multiple times. If you need, a, <laughs> if you need someone to rewatch the movie with you, I will gladly. <laughs> Fair enough. I hand, hand over heart, I swear to God, the Predator <laughs> says shit happens. Okay. He also says, want some candy? Okay, I absolutely do not remember that. So, uh... Well, uh, oh, so, um, the Predator can mimic human voices. So he does, so he has, like, certain things he learns from characters throughout the movie. That's, like, like, in the original at the end, why he has that, I that, like, really insane evil laugh. It's because he stole it from Billy. Oh, Okay, yeah, no, I did not remember that. I got you. Predator I got actually you. says shit happens multiple times. In Predator 2, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, alright, well, fair enough, need to catch up on that. Hey, shit happens. No, oh, shit, shit does happen. <laughs> Thanks, Predator. <laughs> At number 32, we go from the Predator to man's best friend. Oh. Until he's not. And we're going with Stephen King's Cujo. Ah, yes. Man's and best friend, yet not man's best friend. Shit happens. Shit happens. <laughs> I feel a little bad because as I have this list up that I gave to you, I just realized I put the dog attacks. And it's, you probably look at that like, yeah, show the fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm like literally 95% of the movie is Cujo attacking someone but uh what i tr what i should have put was the initial attack on d wallace and the kid that's oh, what i meant okay. yeah where they find out they're in danger and then they get trapped in the car yeah you're just lucky that's one i know yeah <laughs> yeah cujo is awesome i love cujo i think it's a great film it's i don't know what's scarier the giant rabid dog are being trapped in a hot ass car because of said giant rabid dog. Well, I mean, Cujo has become so iconic that uh, so just as a note, our neighbor has a uh, has a big, like massive German shepherd mm -hmm. that is a prison dog. 
Oh, like literally one of the dogs that's meant to just roam out in the prison yards and uh, attack anything it sees move in said prison yard. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that thing is living next door to us. And our nickname for it here is Cujo. Makes sense. Yeah. So we don't let our uh, Wesley out when uh, Cujo's out on the prowl. Makes sense. (laughs) So. So we've got our own little Cujo that we experience here uh, on a daily basis. And on the opposite end of that Cujo's pop, like influence on pop culture. I love when people name their small like Yorkies and Chihuahuas, like little tiny toy dogs when they have the name Cujo. (laughs) It will never not make me laugh. I can imagine your dog being named Cujo. Oh, Augie? Yeah, yeah. Augie's a little Cujo. I should start well, calling him that. Augie's got some Cujo vibes to him. <laughs> oh, my mom's going to love that when she listens to this. Hey, I'm just saying, Augie's got, <laughs> you know, he's got this kind of like, you know, I'm I'm better than you, larger than life. But, you know, if you <laughs> step on my territory, I'm going to, you know, bark at you endlessly kind of deal. He does. Daddy do. Daddy do. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, absolutely. He's just like, you lucky I don't go crazy, crazy loco. We got to move on. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. Number 31, one of the most influential horror films of all time, especially if you grew up in the 2000s. It's Saw. Uh, Saw has to be on here. Mm-hmm. And there are a great many moments. There is the iconic bear reverse bear trap. Of course, mm-hmm. there's Billy the puppet. I am a sucker for that very end twist. And then he traps the one dude in there, just slams the door. Game over. Does his yeah. best, best leather face. <laughs> yeah, it's always a good one. But man, the amount of moments you can talk about with Saw are just absolutely endless let alone not just saw but every single one of the saw movies they have a moment oh my god like what is it is it saw two or is it saw three with the pit of needles two that's two. Oh god that is one of my like that's one of my nightmare moments oh yeah that that was in contention that's gonna get uh the pit of needles has an honorable mention Oh, God, that is just, that's terrible. And the, uh, well, what was it? The the drills with the eyeball, oh, eyeball I, drills. I'm thinking of uh, when uh, one of the Wahlbergs is like trapped in a trap. Oh, wow. Look at me. I'm a really good podcaster trapped in a trap. Um, yeah, but he's like hung up. Twist. And then I think it's Saw 4. I, I. I get them a little confused because I watched them all at once earlier this year because I've only seen the first one for a lo- the longest time. The worst, like, oh my god, how many movies is that in a row? Five, six? No, there's there's nine of them now. Oh no, that's even worse than I expected. Because there's the seven main ones and then the two spinoffs, but I, I only watched the main ones. I didn't watch all nine in this marathon ish. I uh I, I watched the main seven, but I think it's in four where I think it's Donnie Wahlberg. He's all he's hung up in this trap 
and the main guy of this movie like fails it and then the two giant blocks of ice just come smashing down on him <laughs> mm-hmm. and crushes his head and i'm like oh but uh you know what they say god that whole franchise just has such iconically brutal deaths it's I, amazing I, oh it, it is absolutely amazing in like <laughs> the worst way possible it is absolutely amazing game over man game over <laughs> oh. oh god terrible At number 30 i have the most kid-friendly horror movie on here mm-hmm. and also my favorite christmas movie Ah, yes, of course. Number 30 belongs to the iconic Gremlins. (laughs) And I I have to I have to do it. The scene is Phoebe Kate's monologue on why she hates Christmas and how she found out there's not a Santa. First of all, I don't understand why you enjoy this movie so much. Because it's amazing. No, no, it's not. It is amazing. It is pure cinema. It is what I would call enjoyable at best. It is what I would call better than The Godfather. Okay, well, you're just wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. No, that, that movie is just, it literally has zero substance to it. And this monologue scene? is like the absolute epitome of its lack of substance but it also is something and probably one of the well it's obviously the reason you plays it on it's the reason why you would love it yeah because it's so outrageously dumb (laughs) that it's perfect (laughs) well well i think this monologue just this monologue it just encapsulates the tone of the movie because when when the studio execs were like watching this movie, trying to figure out what they were going to sell, they're like, is this a horror movie or is this a comedy? And Joe Dante was like, yeah, that's fair. And like, it's not the scariest movie by any means, but it's a great kids horror movie. I love Gizmo. Gizmo's my homie. Gremlins 2, which is not on this list, is actually, I think, a better movie. All right, so for the longest time, I have not watched Gremlins. Tell me the rules for a Gremlin. All right. Rule number one, avoid bright lights. Hmm. He hates bright lights. Sunlight will kill him. Okay. Rule number two, don't ever get them wet. When you get them wet, they multiply. Channing Tatum could never have a Gremlin. No, he cannot. Mm -hmm. No, he cannot. And the third rule... The most important rule, no matter how much he begs, no matter how much he whines, never, ever feed him after midnight. Because that's when your cute little mogwai turns into a fucking gremlin. That's fair. And those things will fuck you up. (laughs) Oh, man. What a what a hilarious movie. It's hilarious. I love it. I put Gremlins on like the same stage of like kind of movies as like Labyrinth. Yeah. You know, the David Bowie kind of like supernatural uh, movie. Like I have Gremlins like sort of in my same stage of my movies as that movie. I think that's a fair place for it because Labyrinth is 
iconic and awesome. Oh, Labyrinth is great in every way. And like, and with Gremlins, I think why I love it so much is because it's so batshit crazy. But at the same time, it's kind of a sweet Christmas movie inside because I love the relationship between Billy and Gizmo. It's like a cute little boy in his pet movie. It's just surrounded by Christmas mayhem and like gross out humor. And it's just fun. It is fun. No, it's, and... a, it's a fun movie. <laughs> but I did a whole a whole ass episode on it, so I don't need to talk anymore on it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> we're, we're we're trying to push through these uh yeah we're, we're not doing too uh hot on uh the timing here <laughs> hey this is a big 50th spectacular so <laughs> yeah, uh, that is true number 29 this is one of my favorite movies of the 2010s it absolutely floored me when we saw it in theaters it is mike flanagan's doctor sleep oh one of my favorite movies that I've ever seen in theaters. A sequel to arguably one of the greatest films of all time. Absolutely. Like, and 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 for me, I like Dr. Sleep more than The Shining. I can understand that. And I mean, I, I, I'm not saying it's better than The Shining. I, I think that that would be as stupid as saying Gremlins is better than The Godfather. But <laughs> which you also just said in this in this recording, you can't prove that there. you can't prove that. Well, not yet. You could edit it out. <laughs> we all know that. Yeah, but, you know, I have too much <laughs> honor for that. You know, I won't. Yeah, you know, I'm going to be like, bet. And I'm going to keep it in. <laughs> <laughs> I just think Dr. Sleep does such a good job doing the impossible, which is marrying stanley kubrick to the stephen king yeah and i mean obviously with stanley kubrick he kind of created that as a as a one-off movie uh one and done kind of right he wrapped up a lot of things in that movie itself but like it lacks that warmth and heart you expect from a stephen king story and stephen king famously does not like stanley kubrick's the shining because he's like, because it totally is not like the book at all. It takes the plot and the ideas, but well, it's yeah, a Stanley the, Kubrick movie through and through. Well, yeah, like Dr. Sleep is much more in the tone and the family of, you know, what Stephen King would intend for it. But also you have to put sort of this asterisk on it for Kubrick, who he took something that had that kind of lighthearted tone, but he also made it his own and he did it in a way that is iconic and spectacular. And it, for true horror and true, like, I would say ghost horror, that's mm -hmm. sort of a genre. kind of Supernatural, kinda yeah. Yeah, supernatural horror. If you were to take that in its, you know, not its overarching scenario, you know, with the books and Doctor Sleeping out and everything. If you took that as its own piece of media itself, it'd be the epitome of it. Well, well, the thing is, like, Stephen King could hate this movie as much as he wants. It is one of the greatest movies ever made, regardless. Yeah. 
and and well, that's always that's always one of the worst things and all respects to Stephen King and the entirety of the world. He is spectacular in every way. I can also see in kind of a point of being a little jealous that somebody took one of your works and refined it to such a level that made it overarchingly iconic in every way. Well, they're both masters in their craft. Yeah, but it didn't fit into your own idea of what it should have been. And like masters can disagree. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, everybody has their own like, you know, thought process about things. But fact of the matter is, is that he wrote an incredible book. Yeah, an iconic book, by all means. Kubrick took that book as a sort of starting off point and created an iconic movie. Exactly. Follows the book, but might not be exactly. And if you don't like the movie because it doesn't follow it exactly, doesn't mean the book is bad. Doesn't mean the movie is bad. Just means you guys had disagreements and blah, blah, yada, yada, yada. Exactly. And that's what makes Dr. Sleep so brilliant, at least the film adaptation of it. Because Mike Flanagan somehow found a way to marry the best of the Kubrick with best of the King into its own movie. And just for that impossible task alone and nailing it, in my opinion. (laughs) You did. I love Dr. Sleep. And I mean, he also had Obi-Wan in it. So you're you're in a pretty good spot. Oh, it's it the cast in this movie is great. Oh my god, it's incredible. But what's the moment that you chose of it? The moment I I had a really hard time picking a moment for this one. But for me, I went back to what made my jaw drop when we saw this in theaters. And it was when Rose the Hat, one of the best villains of the past few years, by the way, she's hunting for Abra and she starts to astral project and then like it's just this image of her flying over the earth and it's like this haunting almost surreal image of her it's like the earth is rotating for her yeah and it's this that moment I was just like holy shit I'm I'm watching a movie that like is it just expanding my brain of what movies can be oh my god and it's just so surrealistic too because she's just sitting on the top of like an rv yeah just in the middle of the woods sitting on top of an rv and then all of this is happening and what was it i i don't remember it as clearly was it just like a bunch of twinkling lights or something like yeah because those are stars yeah, but everybody who had the shining represented one of those twinkling lights and the brighter right, right. were the ones who had the stronger connection to it. And so she was trying to pinpoint the exact one based on its strength. And it's just like it, it leads you to believe like the nighttime stars in the sky, but it's like the earth with the twinkling stars are the people yeah. who have this power. And it was just honestly beautiful. It was a beautiful the- moment with such us. Yeah sinister undertone to it and that's what mike flanagan does well in all of his films and shows is finding the beauty in horror yeah no that was it was a gorgeous moment with one of the most sinister undertones and it's that's just cool to be able to do oh i agree i agree at number 28 we have 
one of the few 2022 films on here. Ooh. And it might be a little, this one and the other one might be a little high up due to recency bias. Fair. But they're going to be on the list anyways. So number 28, I have Ty West's Pearl. Oh, that was a bone chilling watch. Which is funny because I think I like X more than I like Pearl. And X is not on this list. <laughs> Honestly, I think, the I, moments like, list. I think I do like X more, but I do think Pearl has the more iconic moments. And I think Pearl's a better movie, but X has a better cast. But they're both, for me, like awesome I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even star say I think Pearl is the better movie. I, I think I, X is. I would. I for think me, X is a better movie with less iconic moments. It's got, I, I liked X's like flow and the way mm. it did things better than Pearl did. But when Pearl went off, it went off like extraordinarily. It had its moments to where once it like, you know, once the horror aspects of it took off, it was honestly just gut wrenching. For me, the reason why I think Pearl is a better movie than X, even though I think X is more fun, X, I do think, has a, a bit of a quicker pace. And it, I think X has a better cast. For me, well, yeah. for me, what makes Pearl better is um, it is for me, it's such a strong character study, mm. whereas X is more of a fun slasher. I mean, they're both great films for me. That's true. Like, so, if I if I both had to give them like a numerical grade, they're both four and a half stars. Fair. So it's like splitting apples and oranges. <laughs> true. So so, what moment did you choose from Pearl when she goes off on the projectionist and she's like, "What I do wrong? What I do wrong?" Because uh, wow. they're in the farm and he's like uh -huh. getting creeped out by her, but she notices. She's like. And she just goes off on him. And it's awesome. Mia Goth is earning her paycheck. And she's like, I mean, I can't do it because I'm not Mia Goth. But this like line reading of like, what I do wrong? Why are you leaving me? I thought you liked me. And she's just like manic almost. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, you also have the scenario of her dead mother laying on the stairs. <laughs> well, that's one thing you did wrong, Pearl. Um. <laughs> and her father, who's, you know, laying yeah. dead in the chair. I mean, there's a lot of iconic moments from both Pearl and X I could have easily put on this list. And maybe if I make this list in a couple months, X is on the list and Pearl isn't like, I don't know. I was going <laughs> to say, it up. you also forgot the uh, crying laughter of joy and sadness and terror for a good 15 minutes at the end of the film. Did I forget? Or did I wrestle with that one and my favorite line <laughs> reading? <laughs> no, I was going to, I had that typed in here at one point, but I'm like, but I love when she's like, and of course, when like she gets denied well, by think... the dance, I can be like, no, I'm a star. Oh my God. Yeah. With the uh, rejection at yeah. the uh, performance. There's so many moments I could have done from Pearl. She and did facts. such an insanely good job in that yeah. role. And it's just, God, thinking about that movie just, it, it creeps me out. <laughs> I love it.
I saw that Martin Scorsese said that he uh, that movie kept him up at night after he saw it, which is the highest of compliments. Honestly, fair enough. If you creeped up Martin Scorsese, you made an excellent horror film. Yeah, I mean, I I was going to say it's like not not enough to like creep me out to keep me awake at night but if i said i wasn't thinking about it for a long time afterwards i'd be dead wrong oh yeah that was kind of like oh for sure and also the sort of kind of cliffhanger at the end that's not actually a cliffhanger because you know how it goes why the fuck did her husband or fiance from the war just stay with her that's the power of love I, I guess <laughs> that is that is the power of love, my friend. That's Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, do you want to know what pick number 27 is? I would love to find out. Nope. OK, good call. Guess we're done. <laughs> <laughs> no, number 27 is Jordan Peele's nope. The other oh. 2022 uh, film. Loved that movie too. I I had such a hard time picking a moment from this because obviously the contenders are Gordy killing it on the sitcom stage, literally. Yeah, the uh, you know little chimpanzee that goes on an absolute rampage. Mm-hmm. Love it. And when Jean Jacket vomits blood all over the ranch yeah in one of the most for me like awesome iconic horror moment like visuals just blood raining blood the slayer fan in me was super happy <laughs> oh man well i mean the other one is uh probably my most iconic movie from that or moment from that film is when they're on the on the uh, motorcycle running away from the thing and it finally opens up completely yeah you finally see its eye that's like the prism and, and it's like this cosmic nightmare yeah <laughs> legitimately and you're like oh you're dealing with something that is just horrifying beyond all belief oh yeah oh yeah i ended up going with the blood rain as my yeah, moment that's... but after he sucks up yeah. everyone from the uh fair and then uh yeah, we all know how that goes. <laughs> yep. I I just think that's a I thought it was a brilliant film. If you're going to give me what's essentially a space draws, I'm going to love it. <laughs> oh my god. It, honestly, did not even put that together. It's 100% space draws. I love space draws. Space draws <laughs> is my favorite. <laughs> that's that's fair enough. It is it oh my god. Yeah, no. That I did not even think about that. That, I, that's I, what it is. I could go all day on space. Demonic stingray? Jellyfish? Something? Yeah. It's something. something. Big space fish. Space jaws. <laughs> <laughs> yes, big space jaws. Uh, I like that you said the word demonic because yeah. that brings up number 26. Ooh. Insidious. Yeah. Oh, God. And you know the moment. It Darth mm-hmm. Maul. Tiptoe through the window. Oh, that, God. 
that Darth Maul jump scare, I about pissed myself when I first saw that. I twice he gets me twice every single flipping time <laughs> with him, you know, sitting by the record player with the tiptoe the window. Like at that song, once they're like looking through the window and they see him there, and I'm like, ah oh, God. And then the next time, once they're in like the room sitting at the table and he's just like right behind. Oh God. Yeah. The the camera play on that is unmatched. Just the ability for that director to utilize the camera positioning and the scene and how everything's going in order to just, you know, terrify you. And the most brilliant thing about it, and what I love the most about it, is that none of those are actual, like, how would I say, are, like, true jump scares. Like, they aren't something pops out of the blue instantly to try and scare you. It all relies on you noticing it. So it's there. It's just you're misled with his direction and it's cinematography to not notice it until they want you to notice it. And then it just terrifies you once you do. Yeah. And and that's just, that is so cool. I, I, I love it, man. James Wan. Just, yeah. No, awesome just James guy. Wan. Love him. He's, he's spectacular. We are now, at 25 the halfway point and to mark the halfway point i decided to put my favorite movie of all time because it would not be fair it would not be fair to the competition if everyone knew (laughs) that number one would be jurassic park so which is a horror movie by the way but it's also one of those horror adjacent where it's like you could argue it's not it's not a good argument, but you could make that argument at I've 100%. That before. And it didn't go well. It 100% is a, is a horror movie. It's not a scary movie. That's fair. But at the very least, I think we could all agree that it's horror adjacent. Yes. It is in that. the horror spectrum because it is 100% I mean, a sci-fi movie first. We've had a whole conversation over an entire night about an action movie with horror elements versus a horror movie with action elements. Exactly. Yeah, and but, uh, we're not going to rehash this here. <laughs> but I thought the best compromise for everyone, by that I mean us, was yeah. Jurassic Park at 25. Perfect. And also just a compromise for me because like, I did not, I didn't, like, I, I know it's my favorite, but I want to switch things up a little bit, you know? Yeah, every so, once in a while, like, you can't have the same things. Exactly. But it has to be on the list. And I thought the halfway mark was a perfect place for it because it is, it does have one of my favorite horror moments. And it is when Laura Dern is booting up the system, mm-hmm. un- unknowingly fries Lil Tim, as he's trying to get down from the electric fence. So you get this horrific scene, really, of Laura Dern's character, Dr. Ellie Sadler, booting up the system, going through, intercut with Tim, trying to, Lil Tim, trying to make it down the thing. He gets electrocuted. He flies off. Dr. Grant has to do CPR on her, uh, on him. 
one of my favorite scenes in that entire film is just how far he flies. Just, it is kind of funny, but it's it's it a horrifying stupid. thing too, you know. Oh, uh, absolutely. Steven Spielberg just electrocutes this kid. You don't think he would, but he does. And then we get this heroic John Williams music, a push up on uh, Laura Dern, where she's like, because she she's so proud. She gets the island up and running. She says, Mr. Hammond, I think we're back in business. Boom. Velociraptor. Yeah. <laughs> it That's is one of the great. best jump scare, like one of the best crafted jump scares in any movie. Oh, absolutely. I that moment is really great. And for the horror aspect of it, I, I'm going to say it's, it's not the kid flying off. <laughs> Although the tension building up to that, terrifying. And the raptor is a climax you don't expect because it's it feels like this whole scene is a misdirect just to oh, line absolutely. up to absolutely. Which, which is the introduction of the raptor which the whole movie has been building up to it, it like it creates this tension between the timing of seeing her starting it up versus the kid climbing on the fence and it builds that tension between those two things just to once she starts it and the kid you know getting shocked and flying off which is actually kind of comical right where it's like oh the tension wasn't worth anything and I think that was actually for a purpose is to make that kind of like a unbelievable, like, wow, kid launches like craziness. And you're like, oh, no, hopefully the kid's not dead. Just to be like, OK, well, that that was what it was building up to just for it to hit you right afterwards to like put that, you know, it builds up the tension to relieve it just to hit you with something you weren't expecting and that's that's awesome timing on using the elements of horror exactly and what i think makes that moment my favorite because you have the raptors in the kitchen you have the dilophosaurus eating newman from seinfeld spitting venom on him and of course you have uh rexy breaking out and destroying the jeeps you know yeah. And eating the eating the lawyer on the potty. Every kid loves when the T-Rex eats a lawyer on the potty. <laughs> I mean, that's what lawyers deserve. I didn't say it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> why I chose this moment is because the whole film up to this point, we see the velociraptors in flashes or we see the baby yeah. one. But we don't we're not really introduced to them until this moment. But the whole time they are being like built up as these highly dangerous creatures. Yeah. But until then, we've only met the T-Rex and the Dilophosaurus. So yeah. when you introduce your main baddie as a jump scare. Oh, that's, that's the best way to do it. That's the best yeah. way to do it. Absolutely. And I think I think Steven Spielberg has only done it better one other time. But that that's a movie that shows up later on this list. <laughs> oh, is it? So hopefully, hopefully that movie's not cut from the gymnastics team. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's not Lost World. <laughs> oh, okay. Lost World's yeah. not on this list. Uh I love Lost World. 
If I were to give an honorable mention spot to Lost World, it would be the Raptors in the tall grass. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Thank you for listening to today's episode. This conversation was huge, so I have to break it up into two parts, with part two dropping either Friday or Saturday. So if you're waiting to hear 24 through number one, I'm I'm really sorry. It's going to be a few days. Yesterday, I tweeted a post looking for some potential guests, and I was expecting maybe 10 people to respond, 15 at the most. And the overall response was way bigger than I could have imagined. I'm humbled, grateful, and honestly a little overwhelmed. I really appreciate everyone taking the time to reach out, and I promise, I promise I'm trying to get to everybody. Unfortunately, I won't be able to book everyone. There's a lot of people responding. People are still responding. But whether or not uh, you do get on the show, I'm incredibly grateful for everyone. I hope to talk to you as I hope to talk to as many of you as possible. And if you are listening for the first time because of this tweet, thank you for checking me. Uh, thank you for checking this show out. I really, really appreciate it. And I hope you liked it. I hope you continue to listen and continue to like it or whatever. Um, th- this response has been blowing my mind. On this segment of I Know What You Watched Last Week, in which I tell you about the horror films I've watched since the last episode, this isn't a horror film, but I I, I have to talk about it. I watched the first episode of The Last of Us on HBO, and I absolutely loved it. Pedro Pascal is more than perfect as Joel Miller, and Bella Ramsey has a great start as Ellie. As someone who played the games and knows what is coming, I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. I can't wait for episode two. I didn't watch a lot of stuff this week, but I did rewatch House of a Thousand Corpses. It's been a while since I've seen it, so it was basically like watching it for the first time. It is so cool to see that Rob Zombie had such a strong voice and vision in his debut feature. Say what you will about his films, they definitely are not for everyone. But uh, you, no one can deny he's an artist. Like Rob Zombie, he, he's exciting for sure. If you're interested in this part of the podcast, follow me at Letterbox at TaurusAU so you can see all the movies I log and see my little reviews. I like movies. You like movies. Be friends on there. If you're enjoying the Would You Die podcast, please like, share, comment, and subscribe. Podcasting is hard, and I need all the help I can get for this little podcast to grow. If you want to help support the podcast financially, I do have a Buy Me A Coffee page. I'll put the link in the episode description, but it is buymeacoffee.com slash show. There is absolutely no obligation to donate, but any little bit will help this podcast so, so much. You can find the show's social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Show. Also, you can now follow me on TikTok at Podcast where it's become mostly shit posts of gizmo dancing to random music, I find. There is a Would You Die YouTube show that is on the Three Wise Men Media YouTube channel, where you can also find professional wrestling, trailer reviews, and much, much more. The music you hear in the beginning and end of each episode is composed by my friend Josie Palmer, and everything I just said, I'm go- I have links in the episode description. Part two of my top 50 horror movie moments should drop either Friday or Saturday. 
And next week, we talk about everyone's favorite man of our dreams. Not not Pedro Pascal, the other one. Until then, I'm Austin Torres. Try not to die. <laughs>